Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. I want to say thank you to all that shared this morning. Thank you so much. Um, I love each and every one of you. Uh, you know, um, I moved up here the second time in 2015. Um, and I knew everything about everything <laughs> except for what was important in life. And I think, that, you know, as, as Pastor Allen talked about the fire that burned down the house nine months ago, um, that idea of fire coming down and burning my life has been a repetitive theme. And no matter what has taken place, whether it's been self-induced or circumstantial or because the enemy, one thing has remained the same, and that is that there is no way possible that I could be who I am today without this church. And when I say this church, I don't mean on this side of the pulpit. I mean every single person in this audience who's here today who are unable to go because they're out of town or sick and that have held my hands up when I was exhausted and the amount of times that I would just pray to God for an opportunity to leave and my weakest moments and yet he would say no and then ironically enough when I was feeling strong opportunities to leave would show up and I would say no um and I think at the end of it all for me it's I I'm here today um for each and every one of you and you're here for me and we are a family no matter how big we are and how extended the family gets that's exactly what this church has been no matter if you know we have 10,000 or 10 it's always going to be a family here we look after each other we care for each other sometimes that's putting an arm around your shoulder and sometimes that's kicking somebody in the pants but it is always through love and this place has loved uh, myself, my wife, my kids through all seasons of life. And I want to say thank you so very much um, for rolling with the punches, um, for being there through the change, for holding my hands up, even when you didn't know it. Um, and uh, one thing that has been ridiculously abundantly clear and so many times in my life is we have um, a smile on our face, but your head is spinning, as Pastor Allen knows so many times. You have just gotten attacked after attacked after attacked, whether personally, or I'm watching y'all get attacked, which I take personally, or I'm watching um, the school, or whatever has been going on, um, and all of the things that have taken place, and then somebody, a, a Candace, will come around and go, hey, you did a great job on Sunday. And you don't realize those little words mean so much throughout. I know in the back, that there's some cards um, and coffee, thank you, um, in advance. But can I tell you the best pastor appreciation gift that I've received, in, and I've heard from three different accounts of this, and from, from Monday to today, of you going out and ministering the gospel to people. Three different accounts that were not linked. Um, one of them, uh, she didn't say I couldn't say it, so I'm going to say it, um, and, and that was Gladys. If you know Gladys, Gladys is 
meek, mild Gladys, and she said, Pastor, I, I went out, she tells me this on Monday, I went out and I saw my target, I saw somebody that I was going to go minister to, I was going to reach out to them, and I walked up to a complete stranger, and I said, good morning, how are you doing today? And she looked me dead in the face and went, and growled at me. <laughs> and she said, I just figured I missed God, <laughs> and I walked away. <laughs> but can I tell you how much that warmed my heart that Gladys would take that shot? Other people have gone out um, this week and have ministered to somebody and, 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 and said something kind and, and began to tell them about uh, Jesus, and, and it has developed. But the idea that you guys would take this and not turn it into literature, but turn it into practical life is meaning more to me than anything else. If you want to hear a great message, I'll give you some great podcasts. There's plenty of people that are way better at this than I will ever be. But one thing that I'm doing is I'm believing with all of my heart and soul that we are making disciples that will take this word and realize it's not theorized, it's practical, that we can change our lives according to his word, and we can change our world according to his world. The word, amen? amen. With that said, thank you so much. Um, and we're going to dive in as much as I can. I don't know. I don't even know. Oh, you got me in my feels, and now I'm trying to figure out how to get out of this thing. All right. Yeah, right. Acts chapter 9. Let's go into this real quick. I'm going to back up to 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to him that how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. I love this idea from the beginning, uh, but Barnabas, and the whole idea here is that the apostles were afraid of him. Have you ever realized in life that when you have a, a past that people uh, that have a suit and tie on and a nice dress and their hair in a big bun, they're, uh, they don't like to get around you? Am I the only person who's ever experienced that? Okay, uh, I had everybody that I thought was a believer that was not part of this church that was pro-Pete and successive Pete and we love Pete and we believe in Pete. I'm Pete, by the way. Um, and all of those things. Uh, but because I, I had a, a situation in my life, a past, a sin or whatever it was, all of a sudden they didn't want me to be around them. Because for some reason or another, we have this idea that sin is contagious. There is this spiritual flu that's going around, and if, and, and, and if Elaine has dirt in her life and I get close to Elaine, then I will have dirt in my life. And that's the exact opposite of what, of what uh, young Barnabas did in this case. Everybody was staying clear of poor Saul, but Barnabas says, I'm not afraid of your yesterday because I believe in the God of your tomorrow. And this is what we have to start with when we're going out to everybody from the highways and the byways, from the cubicle next door to our crazy in-laws and our outlaws, everybody in between. We have to understand that there is a Jesus call inside of every single person that we're going to be in contact with. And we cannot be afraid that they did drugs, that they are an alcoholic, that they have been had 18 different marriages, that they have had affairs, that they, ha they were abused, they have been abused. 
all of the issues in life, pick your big thing, Saul of Tarsus was a serial killer against the church. They had all rights to say, I don't want to have him in my life, but Barnabas, Barnabas recognized something inside of them. And I want to say this church has always recognized something inside of people, and we can never stop being the people that recognize the gold beneath the dirt. And this is what happens in our world today is that we, ha- we set these people up on pedestals and then when they fall off of our pedestal, instead of connecting with them and building them back up, we distance ourselves because we can no longer be associated with somebody else's failure. And I've wondered, Heidi, maybe it's because that once we get close to them, then they'll see our failures too. And we don't want them to see that we're just like them. Every single person that is a born-again believer that is filled with the Spirit of God, every one of you has a past and has a present. Paul looks and says, I am the chief of sinners. He doesn't make an excuse for it. He doesn't look around and go, well, it's Candace's fault that I sin, and it's Rusty's fault that I do this. No, I am the chief of sinners. However, he also understood there is grace and mercy at the cross. And I will never be afraid to get in the mud with somebody to pull them out because somebody in this church pulled me out. But as long as we're treating people as if they have spiritual COVID and we're distancing ourselves until all of their symptoms go away and until they look the way we want them to look and until they act the way we want them to look and they jump through my hoops and then I can check their fever and I can watch what's going on and I can then decide they're good enough to be close to me, then I will invite them to our church and they can be part of us. You notice the scriptures that says, and they laid hands on the sick and they recovered. There's an idea here of finding yourself in close proximity to those who are ill. Jesus came to seek and save all that was lost. Not to seek, not to be sought out, not to wait for you to realize how awesome he was, not for you to get yourself together and then come see him. I, Jesus, who deserves all praise, glory, and honor, am going to seek out those of you who are in the darkest pits of your life. And yet my church is not doing the same thing. The apostles distanced themselves, a Barnabas at that season in his life, who was not anything special, says, I will vouch for him. If he does anything wrong, let it be against my family and my name. He stands in the gap. Listen to this. Not in the gap between Saul and Jesus, but between Saul and the church. He stood in the gap of people who should have been rooting him along because he was afraid that they were going to hurt him. You ever notice the story of of the prodigal son? I love the story of the prodigal son. We preach about the prodigal son. We read that story about there was a man who had two sons. One was faithful and he worked hard and he did everything his dad asked him. The other one, 
was Pete. There we go. You've got two kids. One was Heidi, who did everything right all the time, and she would just smile and be perfect and get straight A's, and Pete would be like, I'm going to burn this thing down. Like, there was two kids walking in life. One day, the youngest looks at the father and says, I want my inheritance now. That sounds bold, but let's back it up to ancient times. What he's saying is, I wish you would go ahead and die so I could get some money from you. That's a harsh thing to say to your dad. I don't wish that. So the dad goes, fine. I'll go ahead and divvy up your half now, and he gives it to the son, and the son goes out, and it says he makes investments, but they fell apart. He went and partied and spent all his money because he thought he had these things lined up that if I would invest in this and if I would do that and if I would put my money here, it will create residual income so I can live my best life the way that I want to. And then there was a famine in the land and there was an issue that took place and all of his investments dried up and all the money he had spent partying dried up and now he finds himself starving to death, begging for scraps, feeding the pigs, which were unclean animals, and he's looking at these pigs' food and going, I would eat this, but if I go back home, my father has more than enough. He goes back home, but the story doesn't stop this because we had this idea that he came home and he dropped down to his knees and his dad was there and his dad was like, hey, what are you doing home, you turd? And, 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 and his son was like, I'm so sorry. And he welcomed him home. But that's not how the story goes. The story goes like this. And while he was a long way off, the father saw him and ran towards him. You ever wonder that? Why would he do that? You know what it tells me? Is that every single day throughout that period, the dad sat by the furthest gate to watch out in case he came home. But why would he do that? He would do that because his brother, if his brother saw him first, the way he would treat him would push him back out into the streets. And this is the problem that we're dealing with in the church so far is this, is that we have this idea of all of the prodigal sons and prodigal daughters and all these people that are out there and they're afraid to come close because they're afraid that we're going to sit there and beat them like pinatas. And then when they jump through our hoops and they get beaten far enough and we can see what's all inside, then we'll help them get back together and then we'll put them into the same thing and then teach them how to beat people with pinata sticks. And that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus sought them out. The Father seeks them out. We should seek them out because if it's not going to come from us, who is it going to come from? This idea that maybe one day they'll just go fall asleep and roll over and their TV remote will change to a Christian television station and they'll get saved, that's one in a billion shot. The probability that you will love them into the kingdom is much higher than a, a happens chance salvation. And while we don't stand for sin, we're also not afraid of your sin. While we're not going to wink at sin and say, it's all okay, it's all good, it's no big deal, you had an oops moment. Sin is sin, sin is death, sin is wrong, the end. However, I will never put myself in the Holy Spirit seat to judge your sin. My role is to love you into the kingdom. The cross 
is meant to wash away your sin. But this is the, the tale of two churches, if we can. We've got the church over here that is holding sticks at the door to beat you the moment you come in. And then we have the church over here who doesn't care about sin at all and ignores it and acts like it's not real and you stay lost. But now you just smell like a Christian. When I was in college, I would work landscaping jobs and and there was times that I would leave a landscaping job in South Florida and did not have time to shower before I went back to church. So can anybody guess what I would do? I would go into the bathroom, I'd wash my hands and face, put some deodorant on, spray some cologne, and then go to church. I smelled clean, but I was still filthy on the inside. I was still covered in sweat. I had the appearance of looking like I had my life together, but I was still as nasty as I was before. And this is what's taking place in churches today that are too afraid to say sin is sin is they all of a sudden sprinkle some spiritual perfume and deodorant on and they act like everything is good, but they've never dealt with the stench that was on the inside. And we as a church have to find the happy medium. We have to understand that sin is sin and there is death in sin. And it is despicable and it is horrible and it is offensive to the eyes of God. However, my role is to bring you into the light with the loving message of Jesus. And now we find this verse here in verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. had peace, and were edified. And this verse here has shaken me to my core for the last three weeks. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Look at that. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I feel like right now when we read that verse, we, we have this idea of, of the exact opposite. How can I have the fear of the Lord and be comforted in the Holy Spirit simultaneously? I was doing some research and I'm listening to some different people about the fear of the Lord. And you know what's the prevailing thing that's being taught right now um, in, in, in a 21st century modern church, uh, evangelical church about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord means respect. No. No. That's not what, that is a offshoot definition of the primary root word definition of the fear of the Lord. Actually, if you were to look at the Greek here, the fear of the Lord means terrified and full of concern. That's a lot different than I respect you. You know why? Because in Revelation chapter 20, I think, 21, when Jesus comes back and he's got eyes as fire and a sword shooting out of his mouth, I don't think we're going to be like, I respect that guy. <laughs> no. Because the fear of the Lord is a lot different than just respecting somebody. The fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of the individual, 
but to be concerned of the reaction of the individual. So here's back it up for a second. I'm listening to this guy. Um, um, man, I'm, I'm, my wife's not here. Uh, he is, a, I think it's Angola prison in Louisiana. It is a prison um, where you are sentenced to, to life. They, you're, you're, you don't get out, ever. Um, and I'm listening to this guy talk, and he said, I was raised in church. I was raised in a, a uh, law enforcement home. He says, my brother is a cop, my uncle is a cop, and my dad is a cop. And I killed two people. And he said, and I will never forget the day I watched my dad put handcuffs on me with tears in his eyes to be sentenced to death. This is what's taking place here. One thing we need to understand about the fear of the Lord is this. The fear of the Lord is not God sitting there hoping that you mess up so he may strike you down, but this idea that if I do not live my life by his word, again, we're not talking about super spiritual, but I'm talking about living my life aware of my sin situation, I should be living my life afraid that I'm missing something. This is why Paul says you should work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? It's not that you're afraid that I stubbed my toe and said a bad word and I'm going to go to hell. But this idea that I have lulled my soul so to sleep, I've convinced myself of a lie. The fear of the Lord is this. I, and, and there's so many multifacets, but I'm going to hone it down in this context. Is that I'm living my life continually asking Holy Spirit, what in my life do I need to fix so that I'm not living a perpetual lie. Y'all, we are watching this, and I had this discussion this past week, we are watching media, not social media, we're talking about news media here, saying, covering one story from five different opposing angles, and have you ever watched the news and go, well, which one is it? Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? And you walk away confused. See, this is what the world is trying to get you to do, is to be so lulled to sleep in your sinful condition that when you find yourself before an almighty and wonderful God, you've convinced yourself that you're something that you're not. We live this life with fear of the Lord, that my life situation is going to find me in a condition where I'm putting my hands behind my back and being arrested for my situation. He said, I never expected that I would kill anybody. But one thing led to another, which led to another, which led to another. And I, and I get to a place, and he goes, and I've sat back and asked myself, did I have to kill him? He said, my worst case scenario, the guy was a drug dealer. He said, he stole my, my roommate and best friend's uh, cut some money out from under me. And instead of just having a confrontation, he goes, instead of even just getting into a fist fight, I stabbed him to death. Because that was the logical answer. I was so lost in my sin, that was a logical answer. Just kill the guy. And this is where we find ourselves. If you looked at somebody and go, what were you thinking? They were thinking with a sinful mindset and sinful mindsets will lead you to an answer that's not logical. 
But the fear of the Lord will look back and go, what am I doing right now and where have I missed it? What am I doing right now and is it leading me down a path of righteousness for his name's sake or is it leading me path, down a path of darkness and, and full of mistakes and misery? They lived their life with the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In other words, there was peace and confirmation in their walk. See, we read this and we think of an abusive father that beats you so that you would come and get a hug. Those people exist. Despicable human beings that will purposefully hurt their kids so that they have the opportunity to console their kids. And this is what we have taken this verse and these, these passages with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and we boiled it down to there's a God that will beat you and he will hug you. And that's not it at all. Can I tell you, there is no joy at all from God the Father who wants to punish anyone. In fact, the word says that none should perish. He has no desire for anything. But he also is a loving God who gives you the opportunity to live your life the way you choose to live your life. I've wrestled with this whole idea. If God is so good and if God is so great and if God is so loving, why would he send somebody to hell? And this is where I found myself, and that is right here, that God loves you enough to allow you to make a choice for yourself. And if you decide not to choose him, he's not going to force himself on you. And what he's going to do, he's going to look at you and say, I love you and I want you, but you do not want me. I will not impose myself on you. You can go your way. You know, it's interesting because there, there is this concept that, that Jesus talks about the, the lake of fire that he's going to throw, but you know, primarily he talks about hell as darkness and gnashing. Of, how, how can you have fire and darkness at the same time. It's always been a, a quandary for me. It's always been something that I've wrestled with. And a lot of times that leads us to go down this road of Dante's Inferno where there's seven layers of hell and we get worse and worse and worse and all that stuff. But, but what if it's not? What if there is no fire that you're going to be thrown into always? And what if it is darkness? Because he is the light of the world, and everything that he is is light, and he's going to send you into outer darkness because you chose not to be with him. God does not choose you to go to hell. God does not choose you into darkness. God does not choose you to say, I like Savannah, but I hate Elaine. That's not what's taking place here. We've, we've taken this all out of context. What he's doing is, I'm going to give you the choice to choose this day who you will serve. And if you live your life right here in Acts 9.31, with the fear of the Lord, God, what am I doing today? Am I on the right path at the right time, doing the right thing? And then he comes in and comforts you to go, you're doing the right thing at the right time, and I love you. And you have that peace, that perpetual peace. Do you ever sit with your spouse and go, you, guys, you doing okay? Does anybody ever ask their spouse that question? Everything okay? Yeah. What are you doing? You're checking in. You're just checking in. Something doesn't feel right. You were happy this morning. 
You're not happy now. Maybe you're not feeling well. Are you sick? Did I do something? Most likely. Did I didn't do something even greater? What is it because something doesn't feel right? You know, that comes with relationship. That comes with a closeness. When you are close to someone, you can read and sense things that no one else can read and no one else can sense. And, and, and Heidi and Rusty can go to a convention and Rusty can smile and he can shake hands and he can have the best time, but there's something that Heidi goes, I don't know. I, I don't know. And afterwards, what's going on? And he's wrestling with something because she catches a subtle cue that no one else will see. This is what a relationship with God in Acts 9.31 is. They would walk with God. Is everything good? Did I miss something? And if they did, they would correct it. But they also walked with the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Why would you need comforting? Because something bad is going on. But not only because something bad is going on, but there's also comfort in a reassuring of someone's love, no. And this is what has to happen at New Life for the remainder of our days, is that we have to walk our lives with the fear of the Lord and the, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That he loves you, he's for you, he's going to protect you, he's going to guide you. And you're going to invest into your relationship with God. Is, am I doing what's right? Am I living a life that's pleasing to you? Is my actions today godly or ungodly? Am I walking with the fruit of the Spirit? Have I shown your love to a stranger today? Have I given a kind word or have I been giving a harsh word? Have I been loving my neighbors as myself? Have I been caring for my... Like, you're asking these questions because we want to have a life that is full of God in his presence. And out of that, the last three words, they're multiplied. There is, I've been doing this long enough to understand church strategy to get, to get butts in the seats. We can do giveaways. We can get a helicopter at Easter time, do big egg drops. We can drop 10, 20, $30,000 to get people into the doors. But can I tell you the most authentic way to grow your church is when the people are loving their neighbors in truth and love. And people come in not so they can be entertained, but because there was such a life change in Candace, I need what she's got. Because I'm tired of living a phony life. I'm tired of everyone walking around with a smile on their face, with all their Instagram filtered bodies, and everything else that's going on, but on the inside they're miserable. That you had to delete 25 photos to find the one you actually liked because the other 25 looked horrible because you weren't smiling enough. Because Guys, we have to understand that loving the lost is not that hard. It's getting in the mud and letting them know there is a way out of the situation. And while you're pulling them towards Christ, you're also pulling yourself towards Christ by walking in the fear of the Lord and walking in, in, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You know, in closing, Paul makes this statement here. He doesn't say follow Christ. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. 
And maybe today you're in that spot where you go, Pete, I can't make that last statement. Because if they follow me, they're going to fall into a pit just like me. And that's where Acts 9.31 comes in. Let's work on our fear of the Lord. Let's get real. Sin is sin. You need some verses. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5, chapter, verse, verse 8. Those are three great verses to get you started on what sin is. It's not a good thing. But we have to live our lives, not in perfection, but with purpose to grow towards Christ. My goal is not to be super spiritual Pete this year. But in January, when I do my New Year's check-in, I hope that I, as the time clicks, uh, ticks down next month um, on December 31st, I will look at 2023 Pete, compare him to 2022 Pete, and see that I took a step towards Christ. Just a step. I don't need to have leaps and bounds, a step. And then I can look at somebody who is just two steps behind me and go, hey, why don't you take that step that I just took? One step, one day, every day. We constantly just make this one move over and over and over again. My prayers every single morning, God, what is it today that you have for me? What are the things that I, haven't, that I need to get accomplished? And then at night, God, what are the areas in my life that I missed the mark? Where Am I going to sleep with peace? Pastor Mark talked about anxiety. Am I going to sleep going, I'm not living my life the right way and I want uh, to, to, to make sure everything is right in my relationship with God. It's not that hard. All you gotta do, Holy Spirit, as I look back at today, correct me where I need correcting. Speak love to me where I was beating myself up. Comfort me in my issues and correct me in my sin because I want to be more like you. And you know what's the craziest part? He talks. And you may not have the ceiling fan split open and a beam of heaven comes down and you're, oh, and he calls you out. But all of a sudden, a memory pops up. What happened at lunch today? When that person cut you off and you were quick to react Maybe you weren't quick to react, but you fantasize about it. If they pull a gun, I'm pulling a gun. Like you, you, you go down this, this rabbit hole and, and you find yourself lost. No. Follow the way of the cross. And it is a very hard thing, but one of the, it is the most rewarding thing you will ever do. Spend time with God. God, I thank you that you are edifying the church today, that we, had, that we have peace and persecution, that as we walk through all of this life today, God, and we walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that we are seeing ourselves in a light that we've never seen ourselves, and that is people who are living a sin-conscious life, cautious of our, of our sin, but a, sin, a life that we run fast to your presence because in your arms is mercy and grace. God, I thank you that you are a comforter, that you would comfort the afflicted, that those who are beating themselves up over their past and their present, that God, you would release them of that shame and fear. And as they pick themselves up, Father God, by your mighty word, that you dust them off because you see the gold that is inside of them. God, I thank you that as we go out today, this Thanksgiving week, and we find our lives full of thankfulness and we're around family and friends that we have opportunities to witness to them the love and the power of Christ through the testimony that you have raised us up to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.
Thank you guys all for today. I love you very much. And we will see you all next Sunday. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week. 